Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and otaku of all ages, welcome to another splendid episode of ASO Radio. Or as I like to say, ASO Radio. I, of course, am your host, NZ17, here to bring you episode 129. This time around, we're going to be reviewing a whole bunch of stuff shotgun style. We've got a video game review lined up for you, and three different pieces of fan mail. Now, I know that previously I said that we wouldn't be going and doing anything in regards to regular episodes and that we were switching to a format that was going to be uh, pretty much just reviews and posted on a three-times-a-week basis, but things get delayed and, well, I just couldn't stand not to do an episode for you guys anymore. And I'm sure you appreciate new content, right? So let's go ahead and jump on into this brand new episode of ASO Radio! NIS America is one of the companies that sends animated ASO Radio to review. Now, a lot of what we get sent, uh, we just don't have the time to watch, or we're disinterested in, or just doesn't seem like something that's going to be high quality and worth our time. Other things, however, are mind-blowingly good. And so you've got to take the good with the bad when people send you things. And unfortunately, some of the things that NIS America has chosen to publish in America are questionable at best. Let's just be polite and say it that way. So we're not going to review everything they've sent to us. And as a matter of fact, we're not even going to give full reviews to many of the things they sent to us because it's just not really worth our time talking about them for too long. Not to say that they're absolutely awful terrible, though there are certainly things that have been published by this company that are. But we are going to go and review a whole bunch of them shotgun style. How many? Would you believe one, two, four, five... Well, we're going to go and do that many. Plus five more. Yeah, that's right. We're going to review ten different titles. Shotgun style. Now, those of you that haven't uh, listened to ASO Radio all that long may not be um, acquainted with our shotgun style of reviews, but basically for something we feel deserves in-depth coverage or uh, is otherwise excellent, we will go into a full review. And oftentimes for things that aren't so great, we do full reviews anyways. But when we get a major backlog of things, that's when we go in for the shotgun reviews. This is going to be one of those episodes, and what the basic format is, we're going to make a little bit of shotgun noises. And then we're going to go and do a quick review of each one of these titles. Uh, won't go into too much depth, but give you a basic overview of things, basic opinions, and then the rating. Of course, nothing is basic about ASO Radio, right? Anyways, we've got ten different ones to get to, so let's go and get to those before we go and blather on anymore. <clears throat> First of all, Katana Guitari. This show was not one of the better ones that NIS America's produced. Uh, it's basically about this guy who's raised in isolation on this island alongside his sister by their father, and he's trained to be the ultimate katana, Thus the name Katana Guitari, although for some reason the publisher decided to run these three Japanese words together as though it was one word, but what you gonna do? So anyways, to be the ultimate katana instead of the ultimate swordsman, he uses his body itself as his blade, 
and so he himself is the katana. And so this strategist girl who, I don't know, had her parents murdered in front of her in a burning pagoda building that belonged to them when she was little, and thus it was so shocking that it, it caused her hair to turn from black to white, goes to this island on behalf of the new Japanese government trying to go and assert itself to get Mr. Living Katana to go alongside with her in order to go and retrieve these legendary katana which have been taken away by all these bad bandits because this new shogun guy who wants to be the emperor wants all of them to go and ensure that he has the most powerful katana in all of Japan and thus can make sure he never gets overthrown. Um, then along the way, turns out that the sister is also crazy wackadoo, and by that I mean has special reason for existing, and that she's basically a freak job, some sort of demon-human crazy crap that is able to go and she sees somebody do a technique once, she's learned it. Sees it twice, she's mastered it. And for some reason, even though she's very weak and sickly and crap, um, never dies. And so basically, he's on his journey alongside this white-haired girl that I mentioned came to their island. And basically, he's like, oh, well, what do I get out of it? And she's like, oh, well, I'll go and be your fiancé, and uh, at the end of all of this, we'll get married or whatever. And he's like, well, that just sounds fine and dandy. Doo -doo 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 -doo. But the guy doesn't seem to have much of a... Mm, depth to him, not much emotional or attracted to girls even, but he goes along with white-haired girl, blah, blah, blah. And separately, his sister ends up going and trying to be killed by these assassins, which, of course, she kills them by learning their assassin techniques and goes on out. Anyways, that's enough for the story. Uh, visually, this is quite an impactful show. Uh, it, it, you see the, for everything from the box art to the individual cases art, and it looks pretty good stuff, right? Um... But when you watch the show itself, it really starts to kind of irritate you after a while. You know, the anatomy's all wiggity-whack, and it's just kind of crazy-looking, basically. And now for the nitty-gritty. The, um, the show itself has characters that are rather unbelievable, and you know me, I don't like characters that are unbelievable. I'm not talking about superpowers and stuff, I just mean who they are as an individual, as a person, is unbelievable, and uh, do not like that. And they are impossible, just ridiculous, unbelievable sort of characters. Um, another problem with it is, is just the um, pacing is incredibly slow. It just goes on and on and on. The episodes makes it even worse, because instead of being an half an hour long each, they're an hour long each, and so it's like, maybe if they were half an hour long each, instead of, you know, 50 minutes like they are, uh, you could deal with this slow pacing by watching one episode at a time and get everything done, but no, instead of 13 episodes per season, it's like six, and they're an hour long. Ugh. Anyways, lots of ridiculous crap happens in the story. Takes down the various bamboo or whatever, katana blade people, and it was just so bad, I had to drag myself through the episodes to get through it, and, and just, in conclusion, this anime is not recommended. Pull! Next shotgun review, Arakawa Under the Bridge. Uh, Arakawa Under the Bridge is basically a tale of a, um, 
how to say, rich, well-to-do businessman type who uh, gets caught up with a bunch of zany people taking residence under a bridge. Um, that's the title of the show, as it's the city of Arakawa, and they're all living under the bridge. At least, that's how I recall it being. Anyways, you've got a crazy dude who dresses up as though he's a kappa. You've got a girl that's convinced that she's alien. You've got two twins that uh, say that they have great psychic powers and they escape from a mental institution. A guy named Whitey who goes and draws lines with one of those white line marker things and he never deviates from his line. Uh, a bird guy and just just a whole bunch of different zany characters. It's It's one of those shows where the main character is supposed to be an average guy and everybody around him is crazy. Um, and so it's kind of got that understated, awkward kind of humor to it, which is not everybody's cup of tea. Kind of funky. Um, but I ended up enjoying it and finding that there was a, a, you know, a nice little amount of heart to it. There's this rivalry that goes on with the uh, main guy and this rock and roll sort of guy who has a star on his head named Hoshi, because Hoshi is Japanese for star. Um... And, you know, there's actually a lot of symbolic depth to it, too, if that's your thing. Um, but all in all, you don't need to catch any of the symbolism and just enjoy the absurdist nature of the humor. And so I give Arakawa Under the Bridge a recommended. Next up, Pandora Hearts. Man, is this one lame show. Basically, imagine somebody going, Oh my god, I love Alice in Wonderland. But I also love Kingdom Hearts. How can I combine these two with a gothic Lolita style and throw in some like violence and crazy ass crap and, 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 and sell this? Oh man, I know, I'll call it Pandora Hearts. And I'll make it so there's like this prince and he kind of looks and sounds like Edward Elric, but you know, he's just a lame uh, wannabe. And, and, and he's got this, you know, cute little sister who basically will disappear from the story because, you know, that's just establishing crap, right? We don't need to know what happens to her. And, and oh, and then he ends up in this Pandora world and, and he has to make this contract with this girl. And, and oh, she's like really old and, and stuff. But time passes differently there. And so he makes a forbidden contract with her and this gets him out of there because there's these crazy guys doing stuff and like maybe it's his dad behind everything and he tried to kill his son perhaps or maybe he's just trying to exile him but now she's back and now this mysterious organization is there and they're trying to go and have them work with them to bring in other escapees and stuff like that and yeah lame ass crazy ass story with just a whole bunch of wannabe stuff Okay, it's just trying to be all these other things mixed together, hoping to cash in on what's popular, and it just doesn't work. It, it's boring, it's lame. If all you want is some sort of gothic wannabe style and some pretty set pieces and just stuff that's more about how it's supposed to make you feel because of how it looks rather than having any real high quality and depth... Oh, and uh, by the way, did I mention how there's this whole thing where the uh, main character, the the prince guy, yeah, his like personal assistant butler guy is like supposed to be gay for him? Yeah, that's not so great either. So, um, yeah, Pandora Hearts is definitely not recommended. Pull! Next up, Our Homes Fox Deity. This is actually a pretty good show. Uh, it's 
not a great show, but it's pretty good. Uh, it's actually the sort of television program which I think that would be well suited for um, uh, not so much buying as much as just catching it airing on television. Like this is the sort of thing that I think would have worked well for Cartoon Network or for, you know, of course, Japanese television when it originally ran. But it's not really good enough to go out and buy. If you will, it feels very television. But basically what it is, there's these two young boys, uh, their brothers, and they uncover this fox deity uh, who was a protector person for their mother and basically put her under contract and stuff, whatever. Anyways, the fox was sealed away and now she's brought back out and she kind of befriends and watch after these boys because they're supposed to inherit the... Yeah, it's a bunch of stuff. That's unimportant. Basically, the fox deity... And one of the Shrine Maidens goes home with them to protect them because their lives are in danger from all these yokai and people that don't have their interests uh, at heart. And so they go home, and now it's kind of a wacky situational thing where um, they've got this fox deity, which, by the way, can either take on a human female or human male form, um, and uses uh, both of them to play up people's uh, reactions, you know, get all the girls fawning over the guy version, get the guys going and giving her her way with the girl version, you know, basic stuff like that. And then the Shrine Maiden, she's all serious and goes around with stuff and so on and so forth. But the guy, of course, doesn't want all this wackiness getting out, and so he tells them to tell the story about how, you know, they're just staying over, but they don't have these, you know, special connections or anything. And so there's this girl, uh, I believe her name's Sakura, that has a crush on the guy, um, but she's always worrying that, oh, he likes the fox deity, or he likes the shrine maiden, and so on and so forth. Um, but she's actually, I think, a really great character, a really great source of both comedy and, and uh, you know, emotion for the show. Um, and so it's basically them going on their little adventures and his little retarded brother who seems to always get caught up by some trap by a demon or whatever and them getting rescued and, you know, local deities and crap and turf wars between them and stuff. And, you know, it's an okay show. It feels like, though, that it was starting to struggle to get ratings, and so they went and uh, produced some episodes which are kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if the Shrine Maiden ended up getting drunk, and maybe she wasn't so, you know, uh, serious and stuff, maybe her clothes got a little loose, and the guys were like, oh, hey, look at that, a little cleavage, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and, and some other stuff kind of like that. You know, nothing too awful, but it feels like they're trying to grab for ratings. Uh, and all in all, it's a pleasant little show, but nothing very special. So Our Home's Fox Deity gets recommended. <laughs> Next up is Kimi ni Todoke. Now, I didn't watch very much of this show, maybe about two episodes, um, because it's a very girly show. Very, very shoujo. Uh, essentially, the story is, is there's this girl. She's unpopular. Um, I believe her name's Sonico. Don't remember doesn't really matter. Anyways, she's supposed to be very reminiscent of the girl from The Ring. And um, people are trying to like avoid her because she's quiet and she's scary looking and they remind her of this horror character. 
And so she's rather unpopular. And then one day, um, through various circumstances, she starts making some friends. And, you know, there's this guy who who actually might like her and so on and so forth. And so, like, suddenly these girls that were all mean and rude to her just all of a sudden want to be your friends because, oh, that's such a beautiful story. Sure, I'll help you out and blah, blah, blah. And the other one goes along because she's a friend with the other one. And it just... Uh, if, if that's your thing, you know, this might actually be a good show to watch. But if you want characters and characterizations that feel more believable, more realistic, then this is definitely not your kind of thing. And it's like, all of a sudden, the girl goes from being super unpopular, uh, and nobody notices her, to just like a ton of friends around, and they're real good friends, and this boyfriend, and they're really caring, and things are sweet. And it just feels like, how the heck did this suddenly switch from, like, nobody likes her to a great group of friends all around her in great times. So, uh, I give Kimi ni Todoka a neutral rating. <laughs> Next up, Bunny Drop. Uh, this kind of has a complicated setup, but bear with me. Essentially, there's this old man. He's a grandfather. He has, you know, adult children who they themselves have adult children. And all of a sudden, he brings a girl into the house uh, who's, like, only in grade school, right? Like, like she's just barely starting in kindergarten or so. And so everybody's like, oh, my God, he must have had an affair and so on and so forth. But the uh, grandfather is dead, and nobody wants to take care of this little girl. And so um, the guy's uh, uh, grandson volunteers to go and raise her. And they're like, oh my God, do you realize this is such a responsibility? You need, you know, I mean, do you really want to go and throw your life away like that? You're going to have to go and watch her and take care of her. And you don't even have a wife and no children of your own. So you're going to be doing this the first time. And it's so much work. And, you know, you should just let her go. And, you know, I don't know what will happen to her. We'll just shuffle her around from relative to relative until we can find somebody who will take her on a permanent basis. And he's like, no, that's not right. I'm going to take care of her and raise her. And I don't care how how hard it is. You guys are treating her terrible. And so anyways, he takes in the girl, and she's kind of quirky and quiet at first, but she opens up to him. It's basically a slice-of-life kind of a show, showing how she grows closer to him, and he grows closer to her as he raises her and takes care of her, and signs her up for school and all of this, and it's feel, uh, filled with lots of cutesy moments and stuff. Um, this anime doesn't actually adapt the entire manga, it's based on a, a, yeah, there's quite a few volumes in the manga. Not, you know, it's not like friggin' uh, Bleach or, or One Piece or whatever. Uh, it, it actually does end. The whole story arc's all published and everything. Uh, at least it is in Japan. Um, but uh, there's, you can really split it into two parts. The, the early years where she's a kid and she's growing up and stuff. And then the later years where she's getting ready to graduate from high school and making life choices. Like, does she want to go to college? And, or does she want to, you know, find a husband and settle down? Does she want to enter the working world? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the anime only adapts those early years when she's a little kid and all the cutesy stuff with that. And I think that's a good thing because the ending to the show is really retarded, in my opinion. It's just like a complete, oh, I like these characters so much, how can I figure out how to go and do what I want to do and make it work? And so, because we'll probably never get the Bunny Drop manga released here in the United States, um, or anywhere in the Western world, probably. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the ending. So if you don't want to go and hear the spoiling of the ending of this, 
Um, not this, not the ending of the anime. I won't spoil that. Um, but the ending of the manga, I will tell you. So skip forward to the next shotgun sound if you don't want to hear. But basically, she's like the author. That is, huh, I really like these two characters, but how can I get the ending I want? I know. Let's have it turn out that the um, mother of this girl uh, really didn't go and have an affair with that grandfather. She had an affair with this other guy who's totally not in her life anymore. But nobody can find out about this until much later on in the show. And... um, and so that way, um, the girl doesn't want to go and leave the guy's side. And so even though there's a like 30-year age difference, I totally want those two to hook up in the end. And so the girl decides, oh, even though this guy raised me from practically a baby, and now I'm 18 and need to make my life decisions, I don't want to go off and find a husband. I don't want to go and, and go to college. I'm just going to do part-time work and or whatever and stay with him by his side for the rest of his life because I care about him so much. Yeah, I know. Lame ending. But the Bunny Drop anime itself doesn't adapt any of these um, late teen years uh, chapters of the manga. It just chronicles the early years where the guy is trying to get used to raising a daughter of sorts. I mean, it's not literally his daughter. It's Well, I explained all that already. But basically, the guy is getting used to raising a kid and all the little paperwork and getting them through entrance exams and graduations and all sorts of stuff like that. And her getting used to going and living with this guy. I think his name's Yusaku. I don't remember now. Um... But, uh, you know, it's really cute, it's really nice, kind of slow-paced, not a lot happens, um, but, you know, it's good in its own way. So I give it a recommended. Next up, we have Ground Control to Psychoelectric Girl. Um, That's not actually the Japanese title of this. They kind of took some embellishments to make it sound more interesting, as basically the Japanese title calls her, like, Radio Wave Girl. I guess they thought that wasn't as exciting. But this is a lame show. Yeah, NIS America. I told you they publish a lot of stuff that isn't worth your time or money. And this is one of them. Uh, Everything about this show screams, I'm incredibly generic. Uh, It's just basically, I mean, yeah, it's got a wacky setup, but it's about this guy who thinks that he's going to go and... um, have this great summer vacation, and he's a bit of a lecher on the inside, though he's two-faced, so he doesn't show it on the outside, and he's going to do this and do all that, blah, blah, blah. But it turns out his summer plans are turned on their head, because he's going to be sent to go and stay with his aunt, who's a bit crazy in the head, and oh look, hey, she's got a daughter that no one's ever heard about. And the daughter wraps herself up in a futon and goes and orders in delivery stuff. And she says she's an alien and, like, she pops out money from the top of the futon and and eats pizza by dropping it in the rolled-up top. And, yeah. yeah, it's another one of those shows where you've got the main character who's going and surrounded by all of these crazy individuals and... These are just the first two crazy individuals, and it's just it's just a bunch of crap, really. 
<laughs> it's just so average. It's like, yeah, these these guys, uh, you know, let's have lots of uh, girls for the male viewers to ogle. Oh, yeah, this is his aunt, and since she's all grown up, let's give her big boobs, and let's make her all blushy face, and talking about herself all cutesy and stuff, and she drives like a maniac and things, and, and kind of awkward situation stuff, and... And so that's lame. And then there's the, you know, eponious psychoelectric girl herself, and that's just another crazy. And then the guy's supposed to be all grounded in reality and teaching these guys their place and stuff. And more oddball characters come up, and then it turns out, well, maybe it's not all that he thinks, and maybe some of these people do have psychic powers or aliens or other oddball stuff. But unlike Arakawa Under the Bridge, where the main character fancies himself as normal and well-adjusted and stuff, but is just as really loopy under the surface because, you know, he's kind of OCD and he's concerned about what people think about him and, and going and getting money and getting respect in his father's eyes and stuff. In this case, the main character, however, in Ground Control, the psychoelectric girl, is completely unlikable and I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest going and spending your time or money on this. So definitely, Ground Control, the psychoelectric girl, is not recommended. Next up, House of Five Leaves. Now, I highly recommend this show, but with a strong, strong caveat. Only people who are tired of being happy and being in a good mood and more or less things are going great, but you but you know they've been going great too long and, and it's too cheerful and stuff. You want something that's really pessimistic, that's depressing, that that is just about a bunch of people that are just just awful people. You should watch House of Five Leaves. But if you don't want something that's very depressing about a bunch of, of bad well, in my opinion, they're bad people. Um, a, a family that basically is just um, staying as family for the sake of the wealth and the prestige and the expectations of staying together, but they don't really particularly like each other, and they're all kind of backstabby, and, oh, I'm only doing this because I'm expected to, or oh, I'm only doing this for this appearances and stuff. And uh, what I remember of the plot... The, the, like, young member of this family, he gets kidnapped, and, uh, like, a ransom is asked for him, and, and they don't really want to pay the ransom, but they feel that they should pay the ransom, because he's a family member, and it's just, ugh. and the show is really ugly, I mean, the character designs are really, really ugly, the backgrounds are a bit better, but it's just, like, um, it's got a lot of, it's got a heavy computer um, generated feel to it. Like, it's not 3D CGI or anything, but it just feels lots of, like, still shots and moments with little bits of animation and all, and it just doesn't really feel like something that you should watch unless you really, unless you have a really pessimistic outview or you just want to get depressed. Don't watch this. Uh, I give House of Five Leaves a not recommended because I couldn't even get through the first episode. Finally, we have the Everyday Tales of a Cat God. Now this one, I went in with cautious, but high hopes, which were promptly dashed upon actually watching it. The reason I started out with high hopes is that the Everyday Tales of a Cat God 
has really cheerful, brightly colored, happy artwork, you know. And so you're thinking to yourself, all right, finally, something that doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, it's not wacky, zany off the wall. It's kind of cartoony. You know, th this could be enjoyable. But then you actually watch it, and it's not very enjoyable. It feels like they were like, well, let's just pull open the bag of cliches and tropes, reach in, grab out a few things, wad them up into a ball, hock a loogie into it, bake it in the oven for half an hour, and call it good. Because, uh, basically, yeah, it is about a cat god. It's about a poor cat god, and by that I mean financially poor, gets kicked out of heaven or wherever it was, um ends up living with some humans, other deities and gods and stuff show up, and basically the cat god is lazy, doesn't want to do anything but stay home, eat, and play video games, and it's got all these crazy characters in her life with different connections, got two different um, fiancés, one of them is an accidental fiancé that happened because their fathers were talking about how they should go and have their children engaged. And both fathers had daughters, but they thought that the other father's child was a boy, and so the two girls ended up getting engaged. Yeah, I know. Then the other fiancé actually is, you know, that way, and uh, has the hots for the cat god, but the cat god wants nothing to do with her because she doesn't swing that way. Then there's this other character who's a boy, and he's also supernatural, and he's got the hots for the cat god's um, landlady, I guess you might call her, even though the cat god doesn't pay any rent, um, and just other wacky characters, and it just feels really generic, as in, yeah, let's just put all these wacky characters in crazy situations in one place, and, and we'll call it good. Um, but I couldn't really watch much of this show, and so I only watched the first one or two episodes, and, and then I was like, yeah, you know, this, this isn't going to improve. And, uh, you know, part of it, I suppose, is the first episode just tries to introduce so many characters in such short time, but even the characters it does introduce that we spend a good amount of time with don't really have much of a personality, and they're not all like likable. So the everyday tales of a cat god gets a neutral. Pull! And now it's time for some fan mail. We've got various stuff in here, three of them actually, so uh, let's get started. First up, we have one from somebody going by the name of Das Pepper, subject Hasa. And the email reads, Hala Yakara Maku Dargon Basira. Well, Das Pepper, Hing Chom Pitlop, Sira Ting, sometimes make much. Always off. Team Stoder, see the team, steed it up. And thank you for writing in. Next up, we have an email from Matt Butchholtz. Subject New Anime Comedy from Box Seeds. Howdy, NC17. Howdy, Matt. First off, congrats on your website and podcasts. Breaking 100 is huge, and you do otaku proud. Secondly, I'm Matt Butchholtz, part of the comedy troupe Box Seeds. We produce high-production-value web comedy and so on and so forth. One of our most successful projects is a parody trailer for Death Note, Death a Sketch, 
spoofing the inevitable Americanized WB remake. We've taken it to Anime Expo and Pacific Media Expo, and it's gotten a lot of traction from film geeks and anime fans. We're working on securing our second convention panel at this year's Anime Expo in Los Angeles with our show, Anime and Comedy with Box Seats. We've recently launched a brand new website, and now we're running the press circuit with our new content. Just wanted to send it your way and have you let us know what you think. Thank you for your time. Matt, BoxSeats.tv Well, Matt, thank you for writing in. And, if people like Death Note and want a parody of it, or they don't like Death Note and that's why they want a parody of it, then I might say you could consider checking out Death of Sketch. However, what I would say is do not go to BoxSeats.tv in order to watch it, because since uh, Matt sent this to me, in the meantime, their website has disappeared, and their Facebook page has not been updated in many, 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 many months. So I guess uh, let's hope that it got uploaded to YouTube or reloaded somewhere else, because um certainly couldn't find it from a preliminary look around on the likeliest places, namely their non-existent website and Facebook profile. And our final, and thus third, email is from Seon King. Subject, regarding uh, Cherry Tree High Comedy Club, Vivian's anime. Um... This was an email that I had sent to one of the fine folks over at New Media who published a number of independent Japanese computer games, or doujin games as they refer to them. And one of their games they've published, which is in my opinion the cream of the crop, and the only one to really mess with unless you really, really like um, side-scrolling shooters with well, anyways, Cherry Tree High Comedy Club is a good, good game. And one I should get to reviewing on the show at some point. Anyways, uh, I asked him about um, a line of dialogue in the game. As a matter of fact, what I wrote specifically was, Hello, I just had a quick translation question. In Comedy Tree High Comedy Club, Vivian lists her favorite American cartoons, such as The Simpsons, etc., in the original Japanese dialogue, what were the titles she mentions? Because I figured that what was said in the show, or game, couldn't possibly be what she had actually originally said, because they wanted to go and give it a Phoenix Wright-style translation. That's what they actually said they were aiming for. And so it wasn't a direct translation, but more or less um, kind of getting the fill across and trying to make it sound good and natural in English and so on and so forth. Um, so he wrote back and said, Hi, Sean. That part was localized as opposed to a direct translation. So it wasn't as simple as swapping out cartoon names. Here is the original Japanese. And then he lists the dialogue. I'll get back to you about the review code shortly. Best, Son. Um, unfortunately, though, uh, New Media never did get back to me about getting a review copy of this game or really review copies of any of their game. Seem a little bit disorganized over there. Might want to do something about that. However, what I can share with you is a translation provided by Google of what the uh, 
dialogue supposedly says if you translated it directly into English. Of course, this is Google Translate doing the translation, so I'll let it speak for itself. <clears throat> Japan Toy Eva Subculture Culture Anime cartoon character to negative cable Sayo sea urchin character with injuries Greed she Tokoro Strand Hotel yeah, That doesn't make a ton of sense to me either, but I think I picked up enough bits and pieces to get the basic idea of the things she's referring to. Um, so thank you uh, Mr. King for getting back to me with uh, the answer of what the, uh, was originally said. Um, would have been nice if you had sent us a couple of review copies of your stuff to review on the show. As it is, though, we'll probably just be reviewing Cherry Tree High Comedy Club and uh, look to uh, Carpe Fulger for our other indie Japanese computer game needs. Although, in all honesty, Carpe Fulger hasn't really been putting out anything since their last title, which was published quite a while back. So, um, here's hoping we get more good indie Japanese games released over here, eh? And now it's time for the video game review, and what are we reviewing for this week? Well, reaching into my grab bag of things I need to review is Metal Slug Anthology for the PlayStation Portable, a.k.a. the PSP. This is a compilation of seven different Metal Slug games, including Metal Slug 1, 2, Metal Slug X, which is kind of a combination of 1 and 2 and 3, uh, Metal Slug 3, Metal Slug 4, Metal Slug 5, and Metal Slug 6. Now, a number of these have been released on uh, various consoles previously to the PSP. For example, Metal Slug X was released on the original PlayStation. As well as this particular anthology of games being released on um, other consoles, including the Wii and the PlayStation 2. And, uh, ironically enough, this was actually called Metal Slug Complete in Japan, but is no longer complete, as there was Metal Slug 7 on the DS, which was actually later ported back to the PSP, and I believe uh, Xbox Live, as Metal Slug X. So, not complete, and there have been other spin-offs like Metal Slug Advance and Metal Slug First Mission and Second Mission. The first of, uh, those three Metal Slug Advances on the Game Boy Advance, and Metal Slug First Mission and Second Mission were actually on the Neo Geo Pocket Color. There was also a Metal Slug 3D, and, well, there was a Pachinko Machine, but that doesn't really count for much. Anyway, so this uh, compilation has uh, seven different Metal Slug games. Um, also, by playing these games, when you either run out of continues or you actually finish in other words, complete a game by defeating its final boss, you will go and be given tokens. Uh, they're basically credits which allow you to unlock extra content in the game. Now, this is extra content like extra characters and extra stages and stuff like that, but it's extra content as in various uh, artwork galleries and interviews, um, such as an interview with the main creator behind the series, and uh, the galleries are things like background artwork, character artwork, vehicle artwork, stuff like that. Um, 
and this game can actually be played either single player or multiplayer. Now on the um, console releases, the you know ones that you play on a TV, you would hook up uh, two different controllers to the same system and play multiplayer that way. On the PSP, however, they went and added in a local wireless mode, so if you and a friend have a copy of Metal Slug Anthology, you can fire it up, one of you will host the game, and the other will join the game, and you can play it two-player that way. Um, which would be really great, except for the flaws in this release. You see, I feel that the developer put its time and money behind the wrong thing. Yes, it's great to go and have multiplayer support in a run-and-gun game like the Metal Slug series. After all, it's of great help in things like Contra. The problem, however, is they spent time doing this wireless ad hoc mode instead of going and spending time improving the frame rate. The Metal Slug anthology has a very um, slow frame rate. It feels, you know, I mean, maybe that's not even the right way to put it, because it's really slow down is what it is. Instead of running at a full 30 frames per second, or even improving it and making it 60 frames per second, the Metal Slug anthology on the PSP is running slower than that. It's, it's, you're not getting a full 30 frames per second at any point, really. And most of the time, you're, you're in slowdown city. As a matter of fact, it's so bad that you even have slowdown when you're saving the game. Yeah, that's right, when you press start or select or whatever it is that brings up the menu to quit the game, to pick a different one, save it, load it, whatever. You even have slowdowns on the menu at that point. Uh, and, and we're not talking like something they coded up. I mean, the actual... PSP standard save game menu. And there's just no good reason for that. I mean, I understand that there's various ways of getting games to run. You know, you can do an outright port of things, or you can, you know, run it, emulate it, or, or you can remake it. Well, this wasn't a remake, that's for sure. And so I don't know if they did a bad job recompiling it for the PSP, or they're just using a lousy emulator. Or maybe it is that they didn't go and shrink down all the graphics in advance to run on the lower resolution of the PSP screen, so everything is being shrunk down in real time, and that's using up a bunch of the resources that the PSP has for its, you know, processing power. But whatever the case is, the amount of slowdown and the low frame rate, I feel, are just unacceptable. This is a game that really makes its bread, on, bread and butter on fast reaction times and fast action. And so it's really missing something out by having all this slowdown in it. But speaking of the small screen of the PSP, that's another problem. By going and shrinking it down from its original 640 by 480 so that it can go and run on the... Um, PSP's widescreen resolution, which is not only a different aspect ratio, but lower resolution than the original game, uh, it's really hard to see a lot of those details, and even some of the details are lost because of how small the screen is. Um, and this leads to another big problem in run-and-gun games, avoiding the bullets. You see, in the original games, the bullets would be big enough where you could easily notice them, but in this game, a lot of times, you'll end up getting shot 
not because of an error necessarily on your part, but because the bullets were so difficult to see and there's so much hectic action on screen that you can't tell where the, if you will, safe animations end and where the bullets begin. Now, I think that, you know, they could have taken two different approaches to this. Um, the approach they did take where they shrunk everything down and made the bullets pea size and kind of change shape as they move because of the lower resolution and such. Um, but like I said, that makes it hard to see them. Or they could have kept the bullets at their original size so they'd be easier to see, but then it would be a lot harder to avoid them because they'd be so big. But I think the best approach is one that I thought up earlier today, which is simply they could have taken the game, kept the bullets at their original size so they're bigger and easier to see, but shrank the hitbox down. The hitbox is the square or rectangular box which actually represents the area on an enemy or ally, any character really, or object, that um, can be affected. So, for example, your hitbox might contain somebody from their, like, forehead down to, like, uh, their knees, for example, but it wouldn't include their hair or their lower legs or feet. So you could shoot somebody there or be shot at there, and it wouldn't necessarily kill you. Or in a spaceship shooter game, you know, it might be a square area in the center, so if it's shot at the far reaches of your wings, for example, that wouldn't kill your, well, destroy your ship. Well... Instead of going and shrinking down the hitbox in ratio with it and leaving the dot big, it's just tiny bullets which are difficult to see and avoid. Yes, most of the time you can avoid them, but sometimes you just it just like a bullet comes out of nowhere. So all in all, the Muddle Slug Anthology, you know, it's a great bunch of arcade games. Every time you play through the single player, you're allocated uh, 20 credits, which are supposed to be used through the entire campaign. Thankfully, you don't have to play it all at once. You can save and load it back up, but there's no way of going and getting additional credits so that you can continue beyond 20, not as far as I could tell, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because these arcade games were meant to have you sink in a ton of quarters, but it's also a bad thing because with 20 credits, which you might think of as $10 worth of quarters, if it's 50 cents a play, um, that is a big chunk of change, and well, the problem is is that it'll get you through most of the game, but you might find yourself on the second to last or last level and just not have enough to complete the game, so you've got to just run out of tokens, go back, and um, start over from the beginning. And, you know, that's that's rather annoying. I think a better approach would have been if they had said, okay, let's go and give you three credits, but every time you go and you um, lose all of your continues and lives, we'll go and give you some tokens. Now, you could use these tokens to go and unlock more uh, content in the galleries and such, or you can go and use them to get extra continues in the games. Um, but, of course, that's not the approach they took. But it, I think, would have been a better approach. Um... So there's a likable bunch of characters. They all have various character designs and bios and backgrounds, you know, different colors of hair. There's men and there's women. 
Um, but really, all in all, you're you're just gonna pick your character based on what they look like because the character background stories and personalities really don't play much into the game, and the games themselves don't really have much of a story. It's always there's some tyrant or megalomaniac or enemy army or whatever is trying to take over the world, and they're you know operating with aliens or whatever, and it's your job to go and shoot stuff up, take some tanks, blow some things up, and save the day by rescuing all of the prisoners of war and getting power-ups from them and using uh, either your limited, more powerful weapons that you pick up as power-ups throughout the stage or eventually when those run out, and they run out quickly depending on how many guys you're taking down, your standard unlimited ammo gun. You also have some grenades that you can toss around and later on around Metal Slug 4 and 5 they end up adding a bunch more things uh, weapons wise like being able to switch out between two weapons and things like that. But then they went back to basics with Metal Slug 6. And so all in all this great compilation of a great bunch of games but having the low frame rate having the slowdown having the bullets hard to dodge and local wireless going, I mean, I mean, the slowdowns even in the menus, uh, seriously, that is just off. I can understand when the game's running, but when it's paused, when it's paused, everything should run fast and zippy, and you can quickly save and get back in and stuff. Anyways, great bunch of games, but it's marred by all of these negatives. And while you can play the multiplayer, you'll need two copies of the game and two PSPs and, you know, be in the same area. Can't play over the internet. So, I really wanted to like this, but honestly, if you're interested in playing the Metal Slug games, you would be better served by going and buying this Metal Slug anthology on its PS2 or Wii release. Uh, it's running at the native resolution, there's not the slowdown that's present in the PSP version, and you only need one console and one copy of the game to play it multiplayer. Oh, sure, you'll still need two controllers, but, you know, just have your friend bring over his PS2 or Wii controller and you'll be able to go. Be good to go, right? So, I give Metal Slug Anthology for the PSP a neutral. Well, that brings us to the end of another fantabulous, fabuloso, and just plain out great episode of ASO Radio. I'm glad you could join us, because, hey, what's a show without listeners, am I right? Anyways, folks, I don't know when the next episode will be available, but I certainly hope that you'll rejoin us then. So, for ASO Radio, this is NZ17, signing out. <laughs>